0: A number of times throughout my life, I have been amazed by Stephen King, what he has written, what he is quoted as having said. The generic sense, I get from him that writing is all he ever said, wants to do, and meals, showers and walks get in the way. One of the things I've heard and read as originating from Mr. King is the idea that if you write 300 words a day, after a year, you'll have a novel. Well, enough words, 300 times 365 equals 109,500, for someone to edit into something someone else may want to read, or at least something new to drone on about when meeting your wife's friends. I recently read, yet again, what I've decided is actually Mr. King's challenge. I've also decided to accept, and herein I make my attempt to write at least 300 words a day, initially I will do this for 100 days. It is easier at this point to list what I will not be writing about. Well, what I will be trying to avoid writing about. No love, romance, hate, fear, or sex, a lie. No religion, politics, or catastrophes. No jokes, I know two now. No rabbits, scorpions, gods of the dead, spies, derivatives, traders, or stockbrokers. Physicists or nurses. No police, criminals, or musicians found dead in expensive hotel suites. No witches, no monsters, nothing that goes bump in the night. No moons, planets, or stars, or wormholes in boxes filled with incomplete board games. So what is left? What else could there be? Read on and find out. I begin with time, where I always feel as though I have left off. To review, I cling to the Truman Capote from John Huston's Beat the Devil, which was his small film before Moby Dick, about time, which is part of the magnificent first act. He has particularly creepy Charles Lawton. I may need to stand and be corrected here as I always mistake Charles Lawton with the star of M. Explain that I paraphrase, time is invented by the Swiss. The Americans think it is money, the Italians squander it, and the Hindus do not think it exists. I always like to add my own spice here as I do with most sauces, and include the British. He goes on to explain to no one in particular, although it comes across as bracked, that he believes time to be a thief. I have never accepted that it has criminal intent as true. Instead, I have been swayed to investigate how time is seen beyond Capote's great line. Considering he was writing pages while drinking in the local bar de American, as filming was going on, I imagine that he knew other views of time, but kept them to himself. Well, I'm sure the bartender heard more. My investigations have been what I would consider as passive. In other words, I do not rise with avenues to pursue and leads and clues to chase to the Reichenbach Falls. No, instead, I have ignored my tendency to treat an area of interest as a suspect and let opportunities present themselves. For example, one evening while perusing the local church's January book sale, Communion for when the wise man found La Famiglia Sagrada. I came across a Victorian book guiding the young man through his first adventures in the big city, London, I suspect. I was amused, as Polonius' advice always struck me as enough to both follow and ignore and feel shameful about repeating, but belatedly citing the source as though one expects the recipient to squeal in delight, as it isn't everyone who can slip something Shakespearean into an ordinary day. Well, this tome, the sort of thing a father or an uncle gave to a young man at the station as he was about to trundle south from Yorkshire to the capital, along with a Bible and a bowler hat. This particular book either never made it to London at all or ended up in Edgebaston because someone died and it was collected in boxes after a funeral and unpacked moments before I happened upon it. I opened it, amused but the title, which I cannot recall, and it immediately read that time was precious than gold. Time is a gift, not a tyrant. That any young man who wanted a life worth living must account for every minute as one would for every ounce. I paused, read it again, and immediately wondered why this was news. Well, despite the obvious and daunting distractions Victoria in London held for a young and ambitious man, not that the London of Elizabeth II is any less entertaining or full of traps and trinkets. I imagined some sort of clerk counting seconds and minutes and admonishing clients on taking too long to behold the cricket or admire the kestrel at at queue. Never mind the traveling times without a carriage. I began to daydream of a shop somewhere where patrons queued, wasting time, to then, and it hit me, Push money to one side and look at time as an asset, not a metric. That was the introduction to my 2017 book, More, where I asked, what do you want? And I go on to explore the idea that all of the suffering in the universe, the Buddhists say, is because of the wanting. Is actually because we want more. That if we have an A3, we want an A4. And if we have an A4, we want an A5. And if we have an A5, we want an A6, 7, or 8. Or we want to know what I'm talking about, which is more knowledge. Or we want more time. We want more of something that you cannot buy. We want more of something that we cannot create. We have more of something that we have as much control over as anything we have control over in the universe. And I know minutes get away from you. Hours get away from you. Days get away from you. They get away from me. I shared with somebody this week that there are so many days now where I feel like an absolute failure because I haven't accomplished anything that I thought I wanted to. Yet more and more from a holistic perspective, I'm realizing I'm getting more done now than I ever have. Because just like when I gave up timing my runs or setting the distance from my runs or even trying to achieve a certain speed over a certain distance, when I just let go, I run, I ran further and faster than I ever had completing A 100 mile run, a 220 kilometer run, and then a 300 kilometer run in successive years. The physical toll of which hospitalized me and hurt me and made me question my place in the universe, made me question my worth. My value, and recently I discovered that running is a depressive action for me. Um, but measuring my times made it worse, and I have to let go now of the idea that I seem to be measuring how I spend every minute. And that has to stop. So I'm working on that. And as I work on that, I come to realize that we're probably all walking around thinking that we have a definition of time in our heads, that we understand what time is. As we've spent the last three weeks talking about And thinking about and working on the idea that we are given a finite amount of time per week, 168 hours, but we have no idea how much time we'll have on this earth. There's something about the idea of saying, how will we enjoy our time? How will we invest our time? How will we use our time? As opposed to how will we spend our time? And treating time as though it isn't something so precious. Yes, I'm reflecting on minor grief this week. Someone I knew a little bit 30 years ago. Took their own life. Ran out of time. The thing that struck me was that I never knew that they were 25 years older than me. And I also never knew that they were capable of doing that. The way they acted, the way I remember them. Olympian, immortal, invincible, without a care in the world, worth $2 billion. The day they left the earth, proving once again that money can't buy a second of time. So I come back to, do we know what time is? Do we have any idea what we're dealing with? Do I have any idea what I am talking about when I am coming to you with the idea that time is an ally? And that age is an asset. So I'd like to spend a few minutes today going over a couple of different definitions of time. And yes, I will say it. I think I know what time is. Well, my name is Martin Johnstone. And I disagree. In April of 2018, I came across a book called The Physics of Time by Carlo Rivello. He's a renowned physicist and he's an excellent writer. And he seems to have an attachment to the one thing that I truly believe is required in understanding. Um the harder aspects of physics, Uh, the imagination, and how the universe makes you feel, the theory of relativity, I could ask you to explain it to me. I've seen it explained so many different ways, but the one explanation that sticks with me more than anything is that 10 minutes with the person you love is different than 10 minutes at the dentist. Buying into the idea that emotions are all we have and really focusing on the idea that it's how it makes you feel that matters the most. Ravello quotes Gottfried Leibniz, We can say that from all time in a man's soul, there are vestiges of everything that has happened to him and marks of everything that will happen to him and even traces of everything that happened in the universe. In other words, within the confines of space-time and within the confines of what we understand time to be, What Leibniz is suggesting is that everything is connected. What was, what is, and what will be is all part of our understanding of our place in the universe, but also our understanding of what the hell it is we're doing here. He wrote an article for the Financial Times. And a man named Jamie Stoker fleshed it out and turned it into a sort of review of the book and a review of what Revelli is all about. But we get to a very interesting place very quickly that And I quote, my own work in science has been concentrated on the effort to understand how the quantum nature of the world affects space and time. There is not yet agreement on a solution, but there is a rather large consensus around the expectation that the concept of physical time is likely to move even further away from our intuition When its quantum properties are taken into account. And quantum is, of course, the most minuscule measure that we can understand. I mean, we've all heard the hundreds of the second and the thousands of the second and the, in the Olympics. And then you get to microseconds and nanoseconds and things called femtoseconds which is introduced to me and by James Glick in a book called Faster, and then FICO Seconds, which are even smaller than those. I mean, what do we truly understand as a measurement of time? Caleb Charlotte writes... That is why, reflecting on the nature of time is a constant concern for myself and many of my colleagues, tentative theories of quantum space-time have little that resembles time as we experience it. The basic equations of the theory on which I work, loop quantum gravity, have no special time variable at all. They describe processes in which things change, but no single time variable can track all possible changes. So there is a part of the universe, there is an aspect of the universe where time doesn't matter at all. And I know that we feel that every day. In every possible situation, how many times do you realize that you don't even know what time it is according to how we measure it on a 24-hour basis? Never mind that you care how long you've been standing there, staring, at the spice rack, trying to remember what it is you actually wanted to buy, but that it's the first time all day you've had nothing but peace and quiet. I go on. Does all this suggest our perception of time is illusory? It does not, but it indicates what we perceive as time may not be a simple and elementary aspect of nature, but rather a complex phenomenon with many layers each needing to be addressed by a different chapter of science. This is the true question about the nature of time, which aspects of our sense of it pertain to which domain of science. I suspect that what we call the flowing of time has to be understood by studying the structure of our brain rather than by studying physics. I will immediately take you to Emily Dickinson, who wrote, the brain is wider than the sky. You see, within the realms of the quantum universe, within the realms of quantum physics, within the realms of our universe, which is all the same, we have to get our heads around the idea That we experience all of the things that science tries to explain to us every single day. And there are times when the flowing of time can't be quantified. And that's what Einstein was talking about when he described the theory of relativity in the way that he did. Ten minutes with the person you love is different from ten minutes with the dentist. We all know that to be true. 10 minutes waiting in traffic is different from 10 minutes holding hands with somebody or laughing. And 10 minutes with a person who's gone is very different from 10 minutes with a person you wish you didn't have to know. The other thing that I'll say is that obviously what Dickinson is talking about, the brain is wider than the sky. As we're talking about the idea that the muscle, the brain itself, includes the mind. And we have these two properties, these two entities, the brain and the mind, that are very different. I'll go on from Caleb Charland on Ravelli's book, The Physics of Time. He writes, key aspects of time are described by the science of heat thermodynamics. Anytime the future is definitely distinguishable from the past, there is something like heat involved. Thermodynamics traces the direction of time to something called the low entropy of the past a still mysterious phenomenon on which discussions rage. I have studied the hypothesis that some aspects of the solution might come from recognizing a perspective aspect for time. Think of the magnificent spectacle of the daily rotation of the sky. We see the sun and moon and stars, the entire cosmos majestically rotating. It has taken millennia For us to understand why, to figure this out, we had to consider ourselves. It is not the vast cosmos that is rotating. It is we who live on a spinning rock. A reminder that we are hurtling through space. This week we were reminded of that with the crescent moon. With visible, visible, To the naked eye, both Uranus and Saturn, at one point you could see Mars, Venus, and Saturn all in the same sky, along with the moon. It was a beautiful clear night on Wednesday. On Tuesday, I had received a message that an app that I bought 10 years ago to map the stars through my camera on my device was finally ready. And I gleefully downloaded it to identify Uranus and Jupiter, the next night to identify Uranus and Saturn, and the next night to identify MA2, a new star and another nebula burning red in the sky. And... Of course, all of the images I was looking at were from the past. They traveled light years to get here. Astronomical units, for sure. The stars have traveled light years, the nebula certainly. But the planets are astronomical units away. An astronomical unit is the distance between the Earth and the Sun, which is approximately 93 million miles. So when they say that Neptune is four astronomical units away, it's four times 93 million, which is... 372 million miles. But we suddenly start measuring distance in terms, using words for time, light year, just like a parsec. And the reason why we do this is because here on Earth, as we stand here and we look at our watches, And we try to figure out what time to set our alarm for and whether or not we should hit the snooze button. And we, you know, have to think of a sleep cycle being between 70 and 90 minutes. And we want to know how long dinner is going to be. And we look at the time of songs on an album. And we look at the running time of films, movies that we watch. We want to know if we have time to watch a sitcom or a drama typically because the sitcoms will be just less than half an hour and the dramas will be just less than an hour. We want to know what time we need to get to bed, what time we need to wake up. And we put all of this pressure on ourselves to continually push against the single most important thing we could ever begin to understand, which is what is our definition of time. I challenge you, what is your definition of time? You say that you know, I disagree. I want you to tell me, please, I invite you to tell me. I ask you to consider the idea that have you ever single-handedly sat down and written out what is your definition of time? As a result, I think we'll understand more about what expectations we have of ourselves within the construct of that time that we the way we define time. And I think that we will get a sense very quickly of the idea that the person sitting next to us or the person across the street or the person we're trying to convince at work One of the reasons why we can't make connections with people is because they have different definitions of time than we do. And some people don't have time for this exercise, and when I say that, they don't have the tolerance for it. They aren't interested in it. I'm asking you to be interested in it. I'm asking you to reflect on the idea And I quote. The uniform nature of time is scarcely the only feature where our intuition has turned out to be mistaken. To everybody's surprise, the difference between past and future fails to show up in the elementary equations that govern the physical world. But the discovery that has been the most disconcerting of all has been finding out that the notion of present does not make sense in the larger universe. It only makes sense in the vicinity of us slow human critters. Here and now is a well-defined notion in science, but now on its own is not. Philosophers are struggling greatly with this discovery. If we call reality that which exists now, what is reality after we have realized There isn't a well-defined now all over the universe. The very grammar we use to talk about things, which are not things because they have meaning, in which verbs have only a past, future, and present tense, is inadequate to describe the ways of nature. In physics, a great debate on the nature of physical time has developed in an arc spanning from Aristotle to Newton and from Newton to Einstein. Our understanding has repeatedly deepened in the course of this process. For Aristotle, time is just a way to count what happens, but it becomes an autonomous flowing variable for Newton and is then reinterpreted by Einstein as a feature of the gravitational field. Gravity is not exclusive to planets and suns. And when we are confronted so heavily by the idea of mindfulness, we are taken to a place where reading what Sontag wrote before she died about Pessoa, that she was so incredibly distracted by then and now, or now and then, how he represented the universe. And how Pessoa basically explains that There is no past, present, or future. There is literally what you are experiencing at this second that we have no other word for other than now. Which we might as well call reality. And if we are reflective, then we are detached from that reality. So there is then, which is a word that can be applied to the past as we understand it, or the future, then I will, or then I was, back then, I will then, if then. So, where we get to very quickly is it without an understanding of what we believe time is. Aren't we distracted? Aren't we critically setting ourselves up for failure by not even comprehending the limits in which we are operating? We don't know the rules of the game. I heard something yesterday, a talk about highly sensitive people. And the woman who was a highly sensitive person was explaining that the one thing she enjoyed about her childhood was when the only rule was she had to be home before dark. That was it. She didn't care what time it was while she was doing what she was doing. She was out on her own. I'm sure no one was sitting there counting the minutes and the seconds that she was away or what she was doing or how productive she was being. All they knew is that there was one rule. She had to know when it was time for her to begin walking to her house so that just before the sun crossed the horizon and it was dark she was inside the house and hadn't broken the rule. She didn't watch for that. She didn't need an hourglass. She simply needed the understanding of the relationship between her, the earth, and the sun. And she needed to convert that understanding into how far away from the house she would play in the afternoon. I have deadlines. I have personal finance issues that I'm doing gymnastics over. I have a future that I can taste I have a past that doesn't even exist because not only have I walked away from it, but I've also made sure that so little of it affects my daily life. And equally, there are things that have happened that are defining what will happen next. People I've met, people in my life, my family, people I love, the woman I love. And there is also a real sense that The way I'm defining time at the moment isn't in the capitalist way. And if I do measure it in the capitalist way, I question my value. But then someone says to me, look at how I've grown with you in my life on a daily basis. And I think, how does that happen? You know, I'll tell you what time is to me. It is the act of being free. I think that when we are not free, when we know that we have chained ourselves to something that we do not like or that we disrespect. We can't feel the wisdom in us growing. We can't feel the experience having a positive effect on us. We can't feel anything. But when we are free, we are liberated to Feel and emote and share and love and experience and grow and wander and wander and paint and take photographs and sing and write songs and listen to music and go out with our cousins and our friends. And it doesn't matter. Nothing is saying this is the day of the week. This is the day of the month. This is the day of the year. Everything is saying. You are free to feel something. Go ahead and do it. Lent started this week. The approximately 42 days of hilarity. Where people have a sense that Sacrificing something brings them closer to understanding the sacrifice that um, Christians and Catholics and Calvinists believe that Jesus made. And um, then there's St. Patrick's Day smack in the middle of Lent and how so many Catholics will sin on that day, according to themselves and according to their upbringings and according to their families and the communities that they're members of and the churches, and how it means that the Sundays after St. Patrick's Day leading up to the holiest day of the year, church is packed, and so is the offering basket. And the funds to fix the roof gets filled beyond expectation. And when we look at the origins of St. Patrick's Day, we say, well, hold on a second. Wasn't St. Patrick sent to Ireland to drive out the snakes? Well, they weren't really snakes. They were Druids. They were pagans. They were people who simply weren't buying into what the Holy Roman Empire was suggesting. So, in the way of the Holy Roman Empire and Catholicism and Calvinism, they slaughtered every one of them and tried to erase the culture that built Stonehenge that we have tropes and traces of to this day. Why am I mentioning that? What does all that have to do with defining time for ourselves? Well, one of the things that we do in this life is throughout the year we put up signposts If I can just make it to Valentine's Day, I can make it to St. Patrick's Day. If I can make it to St. Patrick's Day, I can make it to Easter. If I can make it to Easter, well, I can make it, I can make it to May Day. Make it to May Day, make it to Memorial Day, make it to Memorial Day. I can absolutely make it to July 4th. Bring on July 4th because that means it's going to be August bank holiday any day now or Labor Day in the United States. And then the year is ending. For me, it's birthday season and hibernation and next thing you know, it's Thanksgiving. Last Thursday in November for those who don't celebrate, I suggest everybody does no matter what country you live in. And then you're on the six-week march till Christmas, 42 days, which just happens to be, guess what? That's right, how long Lent is, 42 days. Accidental? Well, we know that there are no accidents or coincidences and that everything comes full circle and that we are marketed to and programmed and 42 days. I mean, Douglas Adams would tell you that 42 is the answer to the life, the universe, and everything, but the time definition that you're looking for, the definition of time that you're looking for, I can guarantee you that it's not within the commercial confines and the capitalist confines that we have all been introduced to and programmed and that we live within. It's something else. It's something else. What is time to you? Is it a mirror? Is it a question? Is it a valley that you have to cross? What I would say is that time is when you are free to feel and do what you want anytime. Punning tended. Do I think the world has a grasp of what time is? No, I don't. In fact, I hold on very clearly to the idea that so many of us could read A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. So many of us could try to get a grasp of what time is from Rovelli. I'll quote, I'll read. Our understanding depends on the neural structure shaped by the peculiar environment In which we live. They capture a very imprecise version of the actual temporal structure of reality. Our experience is an approximation of an approximation of a description of the world from our particular perspective as beings dependent on the growth of entropy, anchored to the thermodynamical arrow of time. For us, there is, as Ecclesiastes has it, a time to be born and a time to die. The time we experience is a multi-layered, complex concept with distinct properties rooted in distinct layers of reality. Many parts of the full story are still far from being clear. Time remains, to a large extent, a mystery, perhaps the greatest one. A mystery that relates to issues ranging from the fate of black holes to the enigma of our individual identity and consciousness. I think that time to repeat myself is when we are free and we know who we are. Next week, age as an ally.